0: Chapter seven, turn of the tide. I was thinking about my family, worried for their safety. I've been away now for a few days, few weeks. Couldn't help thinking about the life we had, the one we were leading. I must find the blacksmith. I reminded myself even how we've been able to survive, my family and I. We had little to nothing to our name and yet the long life in front of me seemed promising. I try to keep a positive attitude and focus on the day's journey. Amid chaos, one must remember where they come from, where they're going, to keep their head above water. My thoughts, anyway. (laughs) On this early morning, the port is sighted by the ship's mast major. Calls of preparation are made. It's especially cool this morning. The winds strong, and the clouds still low over our heads. The moon was full and bright last night. I hardly slept. Looking at Scotty, I'm sure he had the same trouble. I walked around the cabin for a while and then pushed open the door with my nose to move up and on the top deck where the men were wearing their blue outfits from yesterday. I neatly placed all the cargo. The ship floorboards were washed and buffed to a shine. Flags carefully displaying our commercial interests, ready for distribution, were riding high in the sky. I had a sharp sensation that the blacksmith is getting nearer. Each gust of wind and each roll of the waves beneath are bringing me closer to him. I saw the ships in the distance and there was a flurry of work and commerce underway indeed. There were castle-like dwellings up and down the coast as far as the eye could see, a major center for trade no doubt flags waving of Australia's pride, calls and horns blowing, surrounding the arrival of boats across the landscape. As we got closer, people were visible to a face. I could see the carriages lining up, lifts and open docks ready for their turn. Finally, the captain ordered for all hands on deck. The cabins below were barren, and the crates, the men, the boy, the stowaway, were all composed and set to depart. The ship's sails trimmed, now simply cruising to shore like watching a bullet in slow motion dragging through a shaft of a gun. Timing, precision, accuracy are all crucial in a handoff like this that is about to occur. Then it started. We dock. Men rush aboard to help unload. Other sailors and crew carry out their orders, moving in and out of sight. I couldn't find the captain in all this movement. Papers were being signed, shuffled around, calls for crates, chests, and other items distributed among the workers. At once, I noticed foreman in the close distance, near the bow, handing off a chest of his own to a man who walked across the deck swiftly, down the rope plank and away from the dock. He headed to a small black carriage, horse at the ready, no driver, with just a small trunk locked by the one man carrying the chest after dumping it in. I began to make my way off as well, heading to the town of Bingham, where the blacksmith doesn't know of my arrival. I stopped watching and moved along with the rest. The gangway was clear and I headed down. The men moved quickly with their orders halfway to their goal. Then, out of nowhere, like a strike of lightning happening so fast you'd be lucky to catch a glimpse of it, gunfire. Gunfire and shouts roared across the boat. I scrambled backwards onto the main deck to avoid uniformed officers charging in front of me, clearly heading a charge to overtake the ship. Soldiers of a different colored uniform were now in an all-out battle with the ship, St. Karina. It was once used by the Navy itself to fight in wars, not made of drug smuggling. It seems we had met our match. These men, uniformed and armed, commanded by another ship directly behind us, blocked our exits. Their uniforms were dark blue and gray, muskets in hand, caps snug on their brows, and well organized, making escape impossible. I ran to the back of the ship to find a place to hide or flee. Then in the blink, I saw Scotty and his father near the bow, closest to freedom, where the carriage sits and waits. There was no way of getting across the water to the street. They were fighting off assailants, I dodged bullets, men were falling all over the place, and I tried not to slip on the blood that began to cover the once beautiful natural maple wood. Death was everywhere. I raced to Scotty. Scotty was being protected by his father. He saw me, shouted for me to come quick, my legs bolted as though terrified to be caught. One soldier climbing behind him, not visible by anyone but me pulled out his sword, ready to slice the boy on his backside. He cringed to my vicious bite of my teeth. I jammed down as hard as I could. I sunk my teeth into his forearm before his strike could fall. Simultaneously, Foreman took down his enemy, grabbed Scotty. Scotty grabbed me by the collar, lifted me off the ground, and suddenly the fight was visible below us. We were swinging in the air. There was now a small patch of water below my feet and above the very wench that unloaded our heavy crates. Now it was unloading us, thanks to the quick thinking of the captain. My eye spotted our landing as the captain let go. We smashed down onto the carriage. I fell back onto the roof, still clinging to Scotty as he held on to me. The captain dove to the front, grabbed the rein, shouted, Hee-yah! He slapped the horse's backsides with a whip, and we were off. We ducked hid, scrambled, avoiding the shots from the ship's overwhelming enemies who took aim as we rowed away. We were heading to safer waters. I immediately thought of the blacksmith. I pulled out the paper from my collar, unrolled it, and showed it to Scotty, who passed it to his father. I began barking incessantly until I was noticed and so was the address. The captain picked up the paper looked at it, looked at me, nodded with a serious face, and could see right into my head like he knew my secrets. Midday passed. We had escaped. A sigh of relief rushed over me like something I never felt before, almost like being reborn. The adrenaline flowed to all ends of my body, and the landscape altogether seemed majestic. The boy and his father seemed to have peace sitting together up front as they eased the horse's pace. We were out of harm's way. All around was dirt country road, rolling green hills, trees scattered among the land. It was about three or four hours since the battle commenced. Surely those who were caught were jailed, hanged, tortured after the battle was over. I could overhear the captain in, in the front speaking to Scotty about the assault. Apparently he had known for some time that this was bound to happen and was able to pull his small treasure off and escape without injury to himself or his son. He recognized my heroism, saving his son's life, and at the first home we stopped for refuge, he paid a high sum for hot beef stew, thick and all mine. Hate to say it, but it was the best beef stew I ever tasted large potatoes, meat off the bone, hoppy beer, which was cool and refreshing like the Australians know how to enjoy, the soldiers questioned the town's people. We kept a low profile. This would last for a day or two. The soldiers were more interested about their opium, not those who escaped. Opium first, peel the smugglers second, and put the coin into the queen's chest.